There is indeed, as we just heard from our scripture reading in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, time to weep and a time to laugh. I'd ask that you'd be turning in your Bibles this morning to Luke, the sixth chapter. Because in Luke, the sixth chapter, we're going to see a couple of diametrically opposed occasions of laughter. We're going to see laughter compared and contrasted there as we talk about a time to weep and a time to laugh. Luke chapter 6, beginning at verse 20, reads as follows in the New King James Version. It says, Then he lifted up his eyes toward his disciples and said, Blessed are you poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when men hate you, when they exclude you, and revile you, and cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. For indeed, your reward is great in heaven, for in like manner their fathers did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full, for you shall hunger. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. In that passage, we learn that God's people who hunger and thirst after righteousness, God's people who hurt and weep right now because they are hated and because they are excluded and because they are reviled and rejected and ridiculed and laughed at, they need to rejoice and here's why. Because it is they, God's people, who will have the last laugh. Verses 21 through 23. And it is those who laugh at God's people now as being too narrow-minded or ridiculous or, or whatever. It is those who laugh at God's people now for God's people's undying and unyielding love and allegiance and obedience to the Savior. It is those people who laugh at God's people now who will in the end mourn and weep and lament, verses 24 and 5, unless, of course, by the grace of God, they become one of God's people. Don't get me wrong this morning. Nobody likes to be laughed at. Nobody likes to be mocked. It's no fun to be ridiculed and made fun of. And, and Jesus himself knows that because Jesus went through that. Seven times in the four Gospels, the word mocked is used in reference to what they did to Jesus. Jesus knows what it's like to be mocked and ridiculed and, and laughed at and made fun of for his undying conviction to his Father in heaven. But you know, it's always been like this. It's always been this way for the faithful people of God. For those people of God who seek out of their love for God 
to be obedient to God, to be obedient to his every word, to be obedient to his every whim, to be faithful and obedient to his every wish and will and desire and command have always been laughed at by the masses. This is nothing new. Turn to me in your Bibles to the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah, would you please? And we will prove this very point. The book of Nehemiah, chapter 2. We're familiar with the story there. But I want to show you again how those who have been trying to be faithful to God and working in His service have always been laughed at for their efforts. Nothing new under the sun. Nehemiah 2 and verse 11. Nehemiah goes back to Jerusalem that has been ransacked and burned and left as a pile of rubble. And he says in Nehemiah 2.11, So I came to Jerusalem and was there three days. Then I arose in the night, I and a few men with me. I told no one what my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem, nor was there any animal with me except the one on which I rode. And I went out by night through the valley gate to the serpent well and the refuse gate and viewed the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down, and its gates, which were burned with fire. Then I went on to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal under me to pass. And so I went up in the night by the valley and viewed the wall, and then I turned back and entered by the valley gate and so returned." And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I had done. I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, or the others who did the work. Then I said to them, You see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lies waste and its gates are burned with fire. Come and let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer be a reproach. Remember, God put this in his heart, he said. Verse 18, and I told them of the hand of my God, which had been good upon me, and also of the king's words that he had spoken to me. So they said, let us rise up and build. And they set their hands to this good work. There's good work to be done here for God. God has laid this on my heart, Nehemiah says, I want to share with you this vision I have for us as God's people. And they said, yes, let's do this. Let's work and let's get the job done. Verse 19, but when Sanballat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite official, and Geshem the Arab heard of it, they laughed at us and despised us. And said, what is this thing that you were doing? Will you rebel against the king? So I answered them and I said to them, the God of heaven himself will prosper us. Therefore we, his servants, will arise and build. But you have no heritage or right in memorial in Jerusalem. You see, God's faithful people always have the last laugh. God and his faithful had the last laugh here because God's people were obedient. And while they were being obedient and they were working and they were serving and they were, they were seeking to do what <clears throat> the man of God had told them that they needed to do, these guys were laughing at them. But they had the last laugh. Look with me in Nehemiah chapter 6 and verse 14. Nehemiah says... My God, remember Tobiah and Sambalat, that's two we just talked about. According to their works, and the prophetess Noadiah and the rest of the prophets who would have made me afraid. 
So the wall was finished on the 25th day of Elul in 52 days. And it happened when all our enemies, including, of course, those two, Tobiah and Sambalat, when all of our enemies heard of it and all the nations around us saw these things, that they were very disheartened in their own eyes, for they perceived that this work was done by our God. You see, God always has the last laugh, and those who are willing to be obedient to God always gain the victory. Back up in your Bibles with me to Second Chronicles, only a couple of books back, Second Chronicles chapter 30. There's an account here that I want us to really give some consideration this morning. Second Chronicles 30, beginning at verse 1, it says, And Hezekiah sent to all Israel and Judah, and also wrote letters to Ephraim and Manasseh, that they should come to the house of the Lord at Jerusalem to keep the Passover to the Lord God of Israel. For the king and his leaders and all the assembly in Jerusalem had agreed to keep the Passover in the second month. For they could not keep it at the regular time, because a sufficient number of priests had not consecrated themselves, nor had the people gathered together at Jerusalem. And the matter pleased the king and all the assembly, so they resolved to make a proclamation throughout all Israel, from Beersheba to Dan, that they should come to keep the Passover to the Lord God of Israel at Jerusalem, since they had not done it for a long time in the prescribed manner. Sidebar. Think about this. Just a little aside here before we continue. That last sentence, they had not done it for a long time in the prescribed manner. For a long time, God's people had not worshipped him and kept the Passover observance in the proper manner that God had told them to keep it. The manner which he had meticulously detailed and prescribed and described in his word. Folks, this is the aside. We've got to understand something here. When God's people have enough faith in God to do exactly what God said, exactly the way God said it, that is incredibly pleasing to God. It shows that you trust Him as God. It shows that you have faith in Him as the Lord God of heaven when you are willing to look at what God said and do it in the prescribed way. Worship to God that is pleasing and acceptable in His sight must be worship that is done according to the prescribed way, what the book says. The prescribed way is so important to God. Moses made sure that he stressed the same principle in Leviticus chapter 5 verse 10 and chapter 9, 12 through 16. And I believe one of the reasons is because God had made it very clear to Moses that you must do things according to the prescribed manner or pattern in Exodus 25 and 6. King David realized after he had used his pretty new cart to move the Ark of the Covenant and Uzzah was killed, King David was angry at first. He couldn't understand why. And then we learn in 1 Chronicles chapter 15, verses 1 through 15, David goes back and he takes a look and he, he tells the Levites, he says, okay, the reason this disaster happened is because we did not do it in the prescribed way. We didn't do it the way God told us to do it in the first place. That's why all the problems. His son Solomon, in all of Solomon's godly wisdoms, showed the same reverence for God, the same obedience to God, because when he built and furnished the temple in 2 Chronicles 4, 19-22, guess how Solomon did it? 
according to the prescribed manner. And so these people here, I just had to lock in on that phrase for a minute. These people here in 2 Chronicles 30, 1 through 5, had not kept the Passover in the prescribed manner for a long time. And so, we read on, verse 6. Then the runners went throughout all Israel and Judah with the letters from the king and his leaders and spoke according to the command of the king. Here it is. Children of Israel, return to the Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. Then he will return to the remnant of you who have escaped from the hand of the kings of Assyria. And do not be like your fathers and your brethren who trespassed against the Lord God of their fathers so that he gave them up to desolation as you see. Do not be stiff-necked as your fathers were, but yield yourselves to the Lord. Enter his sanctuary, which he has sanctified forever, and serve the Lord your God, that the fierceness of his wrath may turn away from you. For if you return to the Lord... Your brethren and your children will be treated with compassion by those who led them captive, so that they may come back to this land. For the Lord your God is gracious and merciful and will not turn his face from you if you return to him. Isn't that an awesome message? Isn't that a beautiful message? If you just turn and come back to God, God will make sure that your captors treat you compassionately. God will have mercy on you. And what a beautiful message. This is awesome. All you got to do is come back and serve God in the prescribed manner. Come on back and keep the Passover the way God said. We haven't done it for a long time. We need to do this. Isn't that a lot like the same message? that we as both a gospel preacher and the people of God are trying to get into the neighborhood today come back to God worship God in the prescribed manner God will be gracious and merciful but you need to come back and experience his love and forgiveness but you need to worship in the prescribed manner not in all these man-made things but in the prescribed manner and God will love you and hold you and in that our message pretty much But you know what? Those that messengers, verse 6, those runners who took that message out there that we just read that had been proclaimed by the king as he's saying, come back and worship according to the way God told us to. These runners went out and they sought to spread this great news message about returning to God by worshiping him just like he commanded. How awesome that would be. You know what? People laughed at him. Look at verse 10. So the runners passed from city to city through the country of Ephraim and Manasseh as far as Zebulun. But they laughed at them and they mocked them. That beautiful message. It's a lot like today, isn't it? We seek to spread that message of returning to God in the Bible. What do people do? Well, you think you're the only ones going to heaven. Well, you believe in water salvation. Well, you guys don't know anything. They laugh at us. They mock us. Because we share that same message. But here's the beauty. Again, just like today, and again, just like we learned in Luke 6, for the few, not all of them laughed, well, a lot of them laughed, verse 10, but as we're going to see in just a minute, a few, not a lot, a few, a few of them didn't laugh at the message, 
But they responded by repenting and returning to worshiping God according to his commandments when they heard that message. And guess what those people got? Those people that didn't laugh at the messengers, guess what they got? They got to laugh at the appropriate time because of the joy they experienced in worshiping God the right way. Read on with me here. Look at this. Verses 11 and following. Nevertheless... Some from Asher, Manasseh, and Zebulun humbled themselves and came to Jerusalem. See, not all of them laughed when they heard it. Some of them said, wow, we better go. Also, the hand of God was on Judah to give them singleness of heart, to obey the command of the king and the leaders at the word of the Lord. Now many people, a very great assembly, gathered at Jerusalem to keep the Feast of Unleavened Bread in the second month. They're going to keep the feast, finally, in the prescribed fashion even though the date's off. Verse 21, So the children of Israel who were present at Jerusalem kept the Feast of Unleavened Bread seven days, look at this folks, with great gladness. There was celebration, there was laughter, there was joy, there was excitement, there was reverence. They kept it with great gladness. And the Levites and the priests praised the Lord day by day, singing to the Lord, accompanied by loud instruments. And Hezekiah gave encouragement to all the Levites who taught the good knowledge of the Lord, and they ate throughout the seven feast days. You know, somehow we've kind of kept that, you know, Churches of Christ and, you know, fellowship dinner. But anyway, they ate throughout the feast seven days, offering peace offerings and making confession to the Lord God of their fathers. Then the whole assembly agreed to keep the feast another seven days, and they kept it another seven days with gladness. Now, a couple things point out real quick. Some might say, aha, verse 21, they used instruments. Yes, they did. But in verse 24, they also sacrificed animals. That both Old Covenant got nothing to do with us. What does have something to do with us is those that return to worshiping God in the prescribed manner experience great joy and, and rejoicing and laughter and excitement and reverence, all of these things. So much so, I don't want you to miss this. Everybody stop. Got y'all's attention? Okay. Did you see what it said in verse 23? It bears repeating. Then the whole assembly agreed to keep the feast another seven days. Uh, don't, don't pass over that. little Passover pun there. Don't pass over that. How long were they supposed to keep it? One week. But they were so encouraged and excited and uplifted and it was so good to do it the way God said to do it that after they'd worshipped for a week that way, you know what they said? Hey, let's do this another week. Isn't that great? This is so awesome. Let's do it another week. You know what that says to us? Is it true that we as New Testament Christians have a greater covenant, a greater sacrifice, a greater everything? Is that true, Hebrews? Now you know what that says to us? We had ought to have the attitude. If we've got it so much better than they had it, and they went through this for a whole week, and they said, hey, let's do this another week. That when we get to the point of worship where the sermon is over, even if it's a 45-minute sermon, and we sing that invitation song... We'd ought to be so thrilled to be in the presence of God and to be New Testament Christians that not one of us goes out that door and we say, hey, let's do this for another hour. Is that what they did? Do you see it in verse 23? Just saying. Think about it. Think about it. 
Verse 25. The whole assembly of Judah rejoiced. The whole assembly. Everybody was so pleased they couldn't stand it. Also the priests and the Levites, all the assembly that came from Israel, the sojourners who came from the land of Israel, and those who dwelt in Judah. So there was great joy in Jerusalem, for since the time of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, there had been nothing like this in Jerusalem. Then the priests, the Levites, arose and blessed the people. Their voice was heard. Their prayer came up to his holy dwelling place, to heaven. And you know what? Those people that laughed and mocked, those messengers who went out with that message, missed this entire thing. They missed it all, didn't they? But these people are laughing. They got the last laugh. You know why? Because they were obedient to God. It is not only always in the realm of religion that people will laugh at and mock and criticize those people who seek to be faithful to and to carry out the commandments of God as written. There are other realms besides the spiritual one where the obedient children of God who are doing it God's way, book, chapter, and verse, get criticized and mocked and ridiculed. People do it on a pagan level. Non-religious people. People do it on a political and national level as well. But what they don't understand... And I say this with no glee or joy, but what they don't understand is that God Almighty, the God and Father whom we seek to serve, whose messengers are always in any age telling people to come back to God and do it His way, that God, when those people laugh at us, God sees them laughing at us just like He saw Sarah laugh in Genesis 18, 11 through 15. She's, she's giggling away to herself and don't think she can ever have a child. Did God see her? And when people laugh at those of God's people who are seeking to do it God's way in the prescribed manner, God sees them. And they need to understand that. And here's why. And this is scary. Because when people do that on a pagan, political, and national, and even sometimes spiritual level, when they laugh at those of us seeking to do it in the prescribed manner, it is God who in turn laughs at them. In their pointless and powerless and pathetic attempts to thwart Him and His purposes, God always has the last laugh. Brother Dan Jenkins, in an older article... I don't know how much older, but somewhat older article on Church of Christ Articles <clears throat> begins his article, think about it, Jesus is LOL, this way. It was a cool article, Jesus is LOL. I want to read you some excerpts. He says, so you read the title to this article and you wonder what LOL means. This is probably a good time to ask your children or grandchildren because they can tell you. Internet messaging, particularly text messaging, has given birth to a new language of abbreviations. BFF is used to describe one who is your best friend forever. SMH is shaking my head. JK is just kidding. PLOS is parent looking over my shoulder. One site lists, listen to this, 1,378 such abbreviations. So what does LOL mean and how can that have any application to the Lord? Sometimes when one reads what another has written and seen the humor in it, 
he texts LOL messaging that he is laughing out loud does anybody ever do that not the texting but do you really ever laugh out loud I, anyway moving on does the Bible ever say anything about God laughing the answer is yes particularly in the Psalms the second Psalm is messianic and several verses in that Psalm are referenced in the New Testament and applied to Jesus in Psalm number two there is a description of the nations raging against God the kings of the earth are seen as calling an assembly to break the cords with which God has bound them brother Jenkins goes on to say this there is something about power which corrupts men and governments when little men attain positions of authority they seek to overthrow any restraints that God has placed on them the Jews in Isaiah's day were condemned for this woe to those who call evil good and good evil who put darkness for light and light for darkness Isaiah 5 and verse 20 we also live in a land that seems to think it can by legislation change immorality into morality and then all is well how does the Lord respond to this look at Psalm 2 again Jesus is LOL at them look at Psalm 2 with me let's do that <clears throat> Psalm 2 Just as Brother Jenkins described, Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. <clears throat> it's as if all the rulers of all the nations get together and have this big summit and say, You know what? God's not going to control us anymore. We're not going to listen to what God says. We're going to do what we want to do. And we're going to get rid of all of his restrictions. Guess what? God giggles. Really, boys? That's my paraphrase. Look at the next verse. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. That's a scary verse. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. By the way, I would encourage you later on today, we don't have time today, but if you have a chance, the first 13 verses of Psalm 59 echo and expand upon this same point, Psalm 59, 1 through 13. But continuing here, verse 7 of Psalm 2, I will declare the decree, the Lord, Lord has said to me, you are my son and today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them to pieces with a potter's vessel. In other words there, you can see God saying that his son is coming and his son will rule over all the nations. Okay? It's a messianic psalm, but look at these last three verses of it. Because Jesus is going to have all authority, and Jesus can do anything Jesus wants to do, and nobody and no amount of buddies on this planet can stop him from doing what he wants to do because he's God. It says in verses 10 through 12, Now therefore be wise, O kings, be instructed, you judges. Of the in other words, hey boys, best be listening up. 
Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son. You better be really, really close to Jesus. Kiss the Son, lest He be angry and you perish in the way, when His wrath is kindled but a little. Jesus only has to be about that upset with people and it's over. Blessed are all those who put their trust in Him. The Lord and His people always have the last laugh. Brother Jenkins goes on and he says, Then... The psalmist describes those who were mocking the saints. We saw in Psalm 2, where they're plotting against God himself. And then, in Psalm 37, the psalmist describes those who were mocking God's people. And he describes how the wicked plot against the just. They had drawn the sword to cast down the poor, the needy, and those who are upright of conduct. How does the Lord respond to such people that mock his children? Psalm 37, 12 through 15 tells us, The Lord laughs at him, for he sees that his day is coming. Jesus is LOL at them. Look in Psalm 37. We'll begin at verse 1, and you will see Jesus LOL if they think that, that they are going to mock his saints and his children forever. Psalm 37, 1 says, Do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like the grass, and wither as the green herb. What do you do when people are mocking you for your Christianity? Well, God tells you through the pen of David, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him and he will bring it to pass. He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Rest in the Lord. You mean what I'm being laughed at? Yes. You mean what I'm being criticized? Yes. You mean what I'm being ridiculed for being a part of the Lord's church? Yes. That's exactly what it means. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret. We fret too much, don't we? Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. Cease from anger. Don't be mad at him. You don't have to worry about that. Don't take vengeance on anybody. The Lord's got that. That's, you know, that's way above your pay grade. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. It only causes harm. Don't wring your hands and, oh no, what am I going to do? Because so-and-so laughed at me or they don't like me or they criticize me for being a church member. And I don't know how I'm going to... God says, don't do that. Here's why. For evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord... They shall inherit the earth. For yet a little while, and the wicked shall be no more. Indeed, you'll look carefully for his place, but it shall be no more. But the meek shall inherit the earth, and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. The wicked plots against the just. Is that true? Yeah, that's true. They're going to hate you and criticize you. Yes. The wicked plots against the just, and gnashes at him with his teeth. What's the Lord's response? The Lord laughs at him. For he sees his days coming. Finally, Brother Jenkins concludes with a third category. He says then, There is the response the Lord gives for his people. Psalm 52 sees the wicked as their evil words seek to defile the saints. They're telling lies about God's children. 
The affirmation is then made that God would destroy such wicked men forever. They were to be uprooted from the land of the living. Now listen, listen. We'll get to Psalm 52 in a minute. Listen. How should God's children, that's you and me, respond to such abuse by the wicked? Psalm 52 tells us, The righteous also shall see and fear, and shall laugh at him, saying, Here is the man who did not make God his strength. So instead of being filled with rage about all that is evil and all that people want to do because you're trying to be obedient to God when they laugh at you and all that, instead of being filled with rage about all that is evil, just remember, Jesus is LOL at him. So you can smile too. Psalm 52. Let's read it. It's the one Brother Jenkins referred to. Psalm 52. Turn over there. Psalm 52. This is what we can do. We can laugh too and say, you know what? God's got it. God's got this. It's okay. Do whatever you got to do. God's bigger than you. Psalm 52 verse 1. Why do you boast in evil, almighty man? The goodness of God endures continually. Your tongue devises destruction, like a sharp razor working deceitfully. You love evil more than good, lying rather than speaking righteousness. You love all devouring words, you deceitful tongue. God shall likewise destroy you forever. He'll take you away and pluck you out of your dwelling place and uproot you from the land of the living. The righteous will see and fear and laugh at him, saying, Here is the man who did not make God his strength, but trusted in the abundance of his riches, and strengthened himself in his wickedness. Yes, God's children can laugh too, because they are like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the mercy of God forever and ever. I will praise you forever, because you have done it, and in the presence of your saints I will wait on your name, for it is good. You know what? You can laugh at me. You can ridicule me. You can have all the jokes about church Christ you want, but you know where I'm going to be next Lord's Day? You know where I'd be next Lord's Day if you weren't paying me to be a preacher? Same place. Do whatever you want. God's got it. I'm going to be in the house of my God to worship my God, no matter what you may think of that. Because God's people always have the last laugh and the victory. Just like Sarah... You know, we mentioned Sarah earlier. She laughed at the wrong time, right? But Sarah, eventually and in the end, she laughed in her God-given joy at the appropriate time in Genesis 21, 1-7. You know, we can do the same thing. We can rejoice in the fact that that message is true. It's always going to be true. And in the end, we have the victory. And it doesn't matter the level of religious persecution or political or national opposition or ridicule or laughter or oppression. It doesn't matter. Brethren, there is no need to be discouraged or angry or frustrated or upset when people don't approve of our serving God in the prescribed manner. If you're going to be discouraged, or you're going to be down, or you're going to be upset, let me give you something to be discouraged and upset about. It is the plight of those people who laugh at you now that ought to make your heart hurt. That ought to bring you pain. It is their plight. Psalm 73, I'm going to excerpt some verses, beginning at verse 8. You probably won't be able to follow me because I'm going to skip some verses. Psalm 73 tells us, beginning at verse 8, 
of those who would laugh at us now. They scoff and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens and their tongue walks through the earth. And they say, how does God know? And is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the ungodly. They're always at ease. They increase in riches. And when I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me. When I sought to understand about, Lord, how can you let your people be in derision like that? When I sought to understand some of these things and, and how the wicked are always seeming to get away with this, he says, it was too painful for me until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their end. Surely you set them in slippery places. You cast them down to destruction. Oh, how they are brought to desolation. As in a moment, they are utterly consumed with terrors. He said, I finally understood that. If they laugh now at me for doing God's will, they're going to mourn later. Because I saw later. Nevertheless, he continues, I am continually with you. You hold me by my right hand. You will guide me with your counsel and afterward receive me to glory. Isn't that awesome? God's going to guide me here. God's going to allow me to be a part of his kingdom here. And then he's going to bring me into glory. He finishes out, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is none upon the earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and heart fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For indeed, those who are far from you shall perish. You have destroyed all those who desert you for harlotry. But it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare your works. That's verses 8 and 9, 11 through 12, 16 through 19, and 23 through 28. I'm going to rejoice and declare your works. And ultimately and ironically, <laughs> that is our mission. Our mission is to declare God's works. Hear me, church. To share our God-given joy and our God-given rejoicing and our laughter. To share all of that and this excitement and enthusiasm and this hope that we have in God. We are to share that, guess with whom? <laughs> The very ones who reject and revile and ridicule and mock and laugh at us now, we are told that we must share what we have with them so that they too might come to know our God and so that they too might cease their laughter now and mourn now for their sinful condition but that in the end, they can have the last laugh as well. And that takes us back to our closing text, which was right back where we started. Turn back to Luke 6 and we will conclude. Luke chapter 6. After talking about how people are going to laugh at us and mock us and ridicule us for what we believe, as we read earlier, you know what Jesus says? He says, go tell the laughers and mockers about this hope that you have and share with them the love of Christ. Verse 27, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who spitefully use you. To him who strikes you on the one cheek, offer the other also. And from him who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. 
Give to everyone who asks of you. And from him who takes away your goods, do not ask them back. And just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them likewise. If you love those who love you, what credit's that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit's that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you hope to receive back, what, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners and receive as much back. But love your enemies, those who hate you and revile you. That's what that flows out of. Do good and lend, hoping for nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you'll be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the unthankful and evil. Therefore be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. You see, we don't get to laugh back. We may get to laugh last, but we don't get to laugh back. We get to tell them about our Jesus. The message is yours this morning. That compassion is there waiting for anybody who will accept it. doesn't matter where you've done or what you've been. If you'll repent and turn to the Lord and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, He will cleanse you. He will add you to His church. People may laugh at you, they may mock you, they may ridicule you, and you keep it on telling them, and maybe one day they'll become members of his church. That's what we're called to do. If you need the prayers of the church because you've been baptized, and you need the prayers in order to spread the message, or anything else we can help you with, or if you'd be baptized this morning, will you please come to the front as we stand and sing?